On today's Padone My Take, we go live one-on-one with Cleveland native UFC fighter Jessica I joins the show. We talk about what do the Browns need to do to get back into the playoffs, back into a legitimate Super Bowl contention to be an elite team in the NFL, what's trending outside of the world of sports, and give you my takes on all the trends and all the happenings around the world of sports because Super Bowl week has come and gone. But guess what? Pitchers and catchers finally report this week. Finally, baseball season is officially here and game day is right around the corner. You know what you need to do, folks. Order your dugout mugs today so they get here in time. They get here for you to crack them in break them in for opening day. These are real handcrafted baseball bats with the barrel hollowed out and engraved with your favorite team's logo right on the front. Makes for the perfect beer mug to kick back, watch some baseball all summer long. This is a must-have item for every baseball fan that's eager to have their favorite sport underway this spring. I know I'm pumped to get the tribe back underway from the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. For my Clevelanders, visit dugoutmugs.com Big Play to view their entire Cleveland Indians collection today. That's dugoutmugs.com slash Big Play. I'm in the dugout and you should be too with dugoutmugs.com. Join us today, dugoutmugs.com slash Big Play. Without further ado, let's do it. Alrighty, welcome on into Padone My Take, BigPlay.com, streaming live, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, BigPlay.com. We're also on demand, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, make sure you give Padone My Take a follow, drop us a five-star review. I'm your host, Nick Padone, that's going to be hanging out with you guys oh, for the next hour or so. Got a great interview on hand for us tonight. With UFC flyweight, Cleveland native from Rootstown, Jessica I. Fantastic interview. We talk about her recent fight, UFC in Abu Dhabi. We talk about what's in store for the future. All kinds of fun stuff with Jessica. You're not going to want to miss that. But like I said in the open, Super Bowl week has come and gone. The NFL season is over. After this, we get to you know look forward to... The legal tampering period and the free agent signings and maybe any small trades that might happen. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks that move around. Of course, at the end of April, we have the draft here in Cleveland, Ohio, and what a fun time that will be. The combine won't be what it always is. It's due to COVID. They're not going to be a big gathering for the combine. I'm excited to see what happens this NFL offseason. There's going to be a lot of movement on the quarterback front, and it's definitely nice that the Browns won't be really involved in that at all. Obviously, they have their starter starting quarterback. They have the guy that they believe is going to lead them to a Super Bowl in Baker Mayfield. And then even backing him up, you have Case Keenum, who you invested a lot of money in in free agency last season. So you have Baker, you have Keenum, them. Maybe they add a third guy to stash on that practice squad, but the Browns quarterbacks are set. As far as free agency goes, it's time to build up that defense. And that's what I wanted to talk about to kick off the show. 
what a weird Super Bowl. And, and Jessica, I will be joining us in about 10 minutes. What a weird Super Bowl. It, it's good if you were a Brady fan like me. Good if you had the Buccaneers money line. But it was weird because last week when I cracked this mic, I said we could be in for the greatest Super Bowl of all time. It had all the marks and makings of a fantastic Super Bowl. The storylines were there. You have the old goat. You have Tom Brady versus the young goat in Patrick Mahomes. Two high-powered, high-flying offenses. The first home Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. First time that ever happened. Biggest United States sports crowd since Corona. You had vaccinated healthcare workers, about 25,000 of them in attendance. There was even a streaker on the field throughout the Super Bowl. Something about it, though, felt weird. It was a very Toronto Raptors NBA championship type feel. A very fluke feeling, almost. In the sense that last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were 7-9. and nine, And they pretty much handled the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I'm glad, personally, that Kansas City lost big. I think it was time to happen. I think Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, hell, maybe even Andy Reid needed a big slice of humble pie. We've seen the headlines. We've heard the talk. This was the first time that Patrick Mahomes has lost by double digits in a very long time. They needed that. Not having either of their offensive tackles definitely hurt that offense. You had the off-the-field distractions with Britt Reed, who reports come out now right as we go on air that Britt Reed is no longer employed by the Kansas City Chiefs. He was involved in the car accident leading up into the Super Bowl that left a five-year-old still fighting for her life in life-threatening condition. There was alcohol, possibly drugs involved in that accident. Definitely our hearts pour out for that five-year-old, but we saw the ramifications of neither starting tackle, the left tackle or the right tackle, as well as just the -the off-the-field distractions. And that was the perfect recipe for a crumble for the Kansas City Chiefs, something that hasn't happened in the Patrick Mahomes era. For the Bucs, though, the championship felt different. It felt bought, but really it wasn't. They, they kind of built things the right way. The majority of those players on both sides of the ball were built either through the draft, free agent acquisitions that they had paid, you know, a respectable price for. You know, the Bucks didn't New York Yankees, LA Dodgers their way into this championship. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, Ronald Jones, all those guys were on the Bucks team that in 2019 won 7-9. Then you look at the defensive side of the ball that was lethal, that was deadly against the Kansas City Chiefs, held them to just nine points, all field goals. The Chiefs didn't find the end zone once in the Super Bowl. Dynamic and Sue, Vita Vea, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, All those pieces were in place leading up into the Super Bowl run year. Those guys were Buccaneers in 2019 when the team went 7-9 with Bruce Arians, who was the coach. But something still felt weird. It felt like Tampa didn't necessarily deserve that championship. And that's coming from me, who's a Tom Brady fan, who recognizes his greatness, who's a Rob Gronkowski fan that realizes that he's probably the best player to play that position. Gronk, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, and Tom Brady 
all four of those guys were the key difference makers in winning that championship and winning that Super Bowl for the city of Tampa Bay and for the Buccaneers. And I think that's why it felt different. You had four guys that really weren't supposed to be there. You had Tom Brady, who before last year, everybody thought would retire a New England Patriot. He was going to be a you know athlete that plays his entire career in one city, no questions asked. You had Leonard Fournette, who started the season with Jacksonville and got cut and spent a good handful of weeks on the waivers before Tampa scooped him up. You have Antonio Brown, who literal weeks ago was in altercations with the police. It looked like he didn't have a home in this league at all. And you had Robin Gronkowski, who came out of retirement after Brady goes to Tampa Bay and has to be forced a trade to Tampa for a fifth round pick. It's so insane how this team came together and how this happened, but it worked. And that leads me to the question that I want to ask you all tonight. And you could tweet the show as always at Padone My Take. You could tweet me, follow me on Twitter at Nick Padone 12. I'm pretty responsive on there. Will the Browns be this aggressive? Now that they've got a taste of winning, do the Cleveland Browns, does Andrew Barry, Paul D. Podesta, more importantly, D. and Jimmy Haslam in that front office, could the Browns be this aggressive and say, hey, we literally just watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of glue a team together at the last moment. They went 7-9. and nine. The Browns went 11-5. and five. If the Browns made the type of moves to get Lenny Fournette, to get A.B., to get a Gronkowski, those three caliber players. Now, I know the Browns don't have giant, you know, offensive needs like that. But if the Browns got three players of that caliber in this offseason, I think we're sitting in a very similar spot. And we're having a very similar conversation come post-Super Bowl next year as the Browns walk out of Los Angeles the champions of Super Bowl 55. And that's what I want to ask you. Do you think the Browns could be this aggressive this offseason and why? Because we saw Tampa Bay do it and it paid off. They put all the chips in the center of the table for a quarterback that was in his 40s, a tight end that was retired, uh, running back who everyone thought was washed up, and a wide receiver who was out of the league too. I think the Browns could do it a much smarter way, could fix up some holes and patch some spots defensively while using that number 26 draft selection at the end of the first round, and they could make some waves, and they could get some starting pieces to shore up that defense to maybe add some speed on both sides of the ball, and they could be poised to make a Super Bowl run of their own that's definitely something that i'm on the watch out for but i want to hear from you guys do you think that's something that the browns will consider do you think they have it in them to make a change like that we're going to keep that conversation going but it's time for a very special interview special guest joining padone my take i've promised you guys some big interviews we got one here for you tonight Rootstown native, UFC flyweight, just got back to the United States right off the heels of her fight in Abu Dhabi in the UFC. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Jessica I. Alrighty, so joining me now all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, Rootstown, Ohio native, UFC fighter, Jessica I. Jessica, thanks for joining the show. Hey, what's up, man? It's good to talk to someone from Ohio. Yeah, right, right. Especially coming off the heels of the great Brown season that we just got to witness. What'd you think of all that? 
It was incredible. It's, you know, it's fun to be a fan that lives in the city, right? Like I lived in Cleveland for many years. I am a huge Browns fan, but to be one outside of Ohio and like, it's almost like your pride gets bigger. So it was super fun to support them, get up. Um, it was nice too. Cause like on the West coast, so you get up in the morning and basically the football game starts. So it's like football really is first thing in the morning. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm jealous. We had to wait, you know, till one o'clock yeah. all, all the time this year, but next year, who knows, probably some more national televised games. Right. I totally agree. <laughs> well, speaking of nationally televised, let's start here. Abu Dhabi, you recently got back from UFC 257. Obviously not the result in the ring, but your big return to fighting. Talk to me about that whole experience for you personally, professionally. What was all that, all that like? Yeah, it was, you know, God, it was, it was so crazy because like the journey to get back to the octagon after, you know, a lot of just like different health issues, um, you know, what that resulted in, you know, losing my gallbladder um, and finding out that I'm allergic to a lot of foods that things I wasn't taking into consideration. Um, but to, to get back there was amazing. I mean, I definitely wish I could have gotten the win. Obviously, that's ultimately what we want. But there were so many other things that came through, like me making weight, me making weight and feeling good. You know, like there's so many other wins. And I think sometimes by nature and fighting, we forget that there's so many more parts of this and of this sport that without a loser, we can't have a winner. Without one person, we can't have the other. Um, and unfortunately, that instead of me being like, OK, because I lost um, subjectively, which is basically three judges scoring it that I that I didn't in different places of the world, three judges would have had me winning it. So I, I try not to get too hard on myself. And I think that that's always one of my biggest messages is that like, you have that choice to let things really, um, you know, pull you down. So I want to be the positivity the world needs. I mean, people have been dying left and right from COVID. So to show any type of strength, not only, you know, in the octagon by overcoming as well as, you know, when you don't always reach your mark, you know, like how you keep going from there because I'm, I'm far from done. I'm far from um, just going to give up that way. You know, like um, if I was uh, just constantly getting finished and I wasn't fighting back, then I, I think I would have to reassess things, but that's how this sport goes. We're professionals. It's going to be hard to, to see some of those, um, you know, finishes that way. You know, you're an Ohio girl at heart too. grew up in Cuyahoga Falls. I found it so funny that like researching, getting ready for this interview, just about every story that UFC or UFC writers put out about you, they have to go out of their way to mention that Ohio grit followed her the entire way. That kind of a stereotype that you found followed you to Vegas throughout your professional career. It's followed me since day one. So it's always funny. Like, when my dad, um, so we're originally from Atwater, Ohio, right? So like Rootstown is where we ended up. I mean, grew up in Algo Falls, we moved back to Rootstown and then that's where I ended up graduating from. And then that's when, once I graduated, as soon as I graduated, I, I left for Cleveland and I spent 14 years in Cleveland. Um, so my Ohio, my Northeastern Ohio runs very strong in me, but I feel like I, I embrace that underdog just because it is kind of what Ohio goes through. You know, we're kind of, you know, on the backhand of everything. Like my dad always said um, that uh, someone once said to him, you're, you're a hillbilly that won't ever amount to anything. And I kind of took that to heart for him because I wanted, I wanted people from small towns to know that 
we all we all get to make that choice. It's our work ethic that gets us there. You know, like I didn't come from a crazy martial arts background. My dad was an auto worker from Chrysler Stamping Plant who, you know, my the I boys, you know, known around Outwater were just, you know, tough guys. And, you know, working hard at something was a matter of doing it. So I didn't have all this pre dispositions or all this extra money that got me to even be here. I worked hard every single day for it. I worked at Arby's as a, as a young girl, you know, working away at, at a dream that I knew that could possibly come if I worked hard for it. So I think that by nature that I'm glad to carry that around. I'm glad to kind of carry that underdog around with me. I think Joe Burrow and, you know, Stipe Miocic, who is in the fighting world with yourself, kind of say it best that, Ohioans are pretty much the toughest people in the world. Like nothing is given, everything is earned, that whole kind of mentality. And it's definitely followed you throughout your career. Yeah. Yeah. I embrace it. You know what I mean? Like I like who I am. So it's like, I feel like there's more people out there like me. There's a lot more people that are out there that are like me that we know of. I'm just the one that shines through. So I speak to those people. So that's important, you know? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, something we have to talk about is Ohio wasn't really all sunshine and rainbows for you, especially growing up. You have a truly inspiring story, Jessica, that you wrote on the Players' Tribune, which put out puts out some awesome content in itself. But yours had to be one of the hardest, most jarring pieces for me to read about your life, detailing some of the abuse that you went through with your father growing up. How has that helped shape the Jessica that sits before us today and just everything that you you've put up with throughout your life you know it's crazy because like my relationship just like my MMA career there's been a love and hate relationship but like there was a love and hate relationship with my father um even when he was alive until he passed away that I'm thankful for those bad moments now but extremely hard it was so it wasn't easy and there were times that I barely survived it and not only by the hands of someone else but by the hands of myself you know there was times that you know suicide was something that I thought about and tried and things like that that you know at such a young age that I want to speak to those people you know that are like that that are you know young and not understanding what they're going through the message will under you'll understand it later on in life and that strength is not gonna you know not serve you one day when you need it and you know like with my father, you know, he has now since passed, he died of brain cancer. Um, and I'm a firm believer in this world, um, what you do here, you pay for here. And if you're, if you don't serve people correctly, when you're here, you'll, you'll pay for that here in, in multiple ways. And that either through your physical health, financial stability, there's lots of ways that we pay for our debts. And um, I like, you know, I'm, I miss him. I do. I miss him now. And it's crazy because like, I don't know what that's considered. I've read stuff where they've said, you know, it's called like Stockholm syndrome, you know, where people feel bad for their capture and, you know, things like that. It, it's not that I feel like feel for him, but I, I miss my dad in the ways that we had good relationships. He was, you know, deeply troubled in his own ways that he never took care of. You know, he was highly abused um, as a young boy. He was the youngest of six children. You know, so it's like he there, there was a lot that he went through. And during the time, I never understood that. So it's like it's hard not to right? like, how could you like, how would you do not feel bad for someone who finally broke? You know what I mean? Like my dad, I don't think that he knew how to be in a, in a parent and he ended up having kids. And all that he knew at that point was he didn't want us to go through the things that he went through. Um, and he was very poor. So financially, we never struggled. 
but physically, I don't think he knew how to coach somebody, you know, so physically, you know, he, he couldn't, he couldn't help a child through something, right? Like explain it to them. Um, so he, he, physical was the only way he knew how to do it. So if something couldn't do it by the way he told them to, there was a lot of physical action that took place. And how can I be mad at that? I, I'm fighting for a living. It's how I make my money. And I fight physically. And I think sometimes why people get the, the misunderstanding of me when I'm smiling in there. Like, I do enjoy this stuff. It's a part of me that that part of that person inside of me who didn't like getting dominated, who didn't like getting punched. There's a part of me that finds some type of gratification in it. And that's not because, you know, I'm bad, but that's what makes me an athlete. Right. And that's what makes me the fighter in, in that aspect of it. And I think that that's what makes me a little bit different than some of these other girls in that way. Definitely. I kind of wanted to circle back to something that you said about, you know, growing up, your start to fighting started right here in Cleveland, Ohio at Strong Style Gym. Notably now, you know, home of Stipe Miocic. That's all we hear about here. But for you, it is one of the most interesting beginnings to a professional athlete's career that I've ever heard of. If you feel comfortable, talk me through the story of how you met people at Strong Style Gym and how you got your start there. Yeah, man. Strong Style, um, you know, they were great. They served me for so long. You know, I'm, I'm not there because the system or the gym wasn't amazing. Unfortunately, sometimes people argue and they can't get over arguments. So I think um, I try to think it is that way is that sometimes we just agree to disagree. And I think it's better that we separate ways. So it's an amazing gym. I'm so thankful. I wouldn't be where I am had I not been given that platform. Um, but at the same time, you know, me, Stipe, and Marcus were learning all along the way. None of us came from these crazy backgrounds of martial arts where, you know, like we were from fight families. We were just people that were coming together to learn how to fight. And we did it together. You know, Dan Bobich and Forrest Pets had been some names. But let's face it, the UFC has only been around for 25 years. And I've been in the UFC for um God, eight years now. So it's not that old. You know what I mean? Like it's still a baby, exactly. still under 30. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and speaking of that baby that, you know, that's the UFC, you literally just took part in a fight last week. Explain to the common fan, the kind of rehab process, the training process to, to a fan who might not understand the timeline that it takes you from getting ready to participate in this, to participating in the actual event itself. And then now here at the end, the rehab and getting back part. Gosh, you know, the, it's a full-time job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's my full-time life. Like there's no other time. And, and I think that that's where it's kind of stuff for the younger fans and for the newbies is like people to understand that, like it really is now a professional job, um, you know, like the NFL, like the NBA, because, you know, you can get hurt and injuries happen and to not get injured is you're one of the lucky few. I mean, we see it all the time about fighters pulling out of fights and things like that. So I think that we don't, we don't take into consideration that this is a very physical sport. My best way to say it is tell someone to go take their knuckles to their wall and just slowly tap it a couple times every day for a couple days straight. And tell me that soreness that you feel, that's an MMA fighter every day. There's constant physical demand on the body. So we're very fortunate to, to be able to sometimes make our career as long as we have. 
um, but is injury free. But I mean, it's an everyday job. I mean, it's from the time you get up in the morning um, to the first meal you eat since we make weight all the time. So the foods we eat to the air we breathe to the people we surround ourselves by. So there's a lot that goes into it. So I, I would imagine some of the food for yourself, especially now that you're not here in Cleveland, no Swenson's kind of happens for the UFC world. Yeah, I definitely miss Swenson's. Unfortunately, I found out that I can't have gluten and, and um, some things in the bread. So I couldn't even have a Swenson burger. I'd have to take it off the bread, which would really suck. Um, I might suffer through one of those again, though, one day. But it is Las Vegas, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many food places here that actually need a Swenson's here because everybody thinks in and out is the best, and it's not. Yeah, that's what everyone says. That's what everyone says that, you know, comes here and then goes there. Like, can't even compare. in and out does not. No, in and out and Swenson's aren't even in the same league, like, yeah. at all. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm LeBron's a, in that camp. Yes, yes, yes. That is awesome. So speaking of fighting and fighting injured, I'm not sure if you saw this. There was like a celebrity exhibition fight thing that happened over the weekend with Jose Canseco, who's like an old big time baseball player who's in his 50s now, fought an intern from Barstool Sports. The fight lasted about 10 seconds. It was supposed to be a boxing match. Jose Canseco like dived into the ground and was holding his shoulder and said that he had, was trying to fight with a torn shoulder shoulder is there any celebrity that comes to mind for you instantly because because jose canseco is a good one for baseball fans because he was big in the steroid era he ruined a lot of the sport for that generation of fans is there any celebrity that you would when the time comes and you hang it up that wow a, a celebrity boxing match jessica i versus and then i'll give you mine Oh man, I actually just thought about this recently because I was like, man, we need like a girl celebrity match out there, like girl versus girl um, in that way. I don't know that we have like, hmm, I'd have to think about that. Maybe Bad Baby, maybe we could get, was it right, the Bad Baby? Yeah. Like Catch Me Outside? Maybe yeah. she would be it, right? It would be fun, right? Like. That would be a fun matchup in that way. I mean, outside of like, there's no issue or beef. And I, I mean, I heard she's turning her life around, which was, I guess, good. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So do you, do you want mine or no? Yeah, of course. I want to hear who's yours. Okay. So there's a weatherman up here locally. We'll, we'll, we'll keep no names, but there's a, a select amount of people, a good amount of people that'll watch this show that knows this weatherman has a little bit of beef with me um, for some Cavs takes that I've had. So if you're ever in Cleveland and we're looking to host a UFC exhibition deal, me versus unnamed weatherman is definitely going to be the headline, I think. Oh my God, that's incredible. We'll, def we'll definitely have to stay in touch about that because there is a UFC gym opening up. That is one of my friends who's actually opening it up. So there would be somewhere for us to go and do it, which would be great. It'll actually be located right there in Middleburg Heights, right over there by um, the Browns facility. So it's pretty awesome. So maybe we could throw some footballs around and then you can go beat somebody up. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. I would need your help to get ready for it. Obviously, I've had, you know, my share of Swenson's, Cali Boys, milkshakes, etc. I definitely need your help to get back into that kind of shape. But I, yeah, that'd be fun. I'm back in I'm back uh, March. So uh, for a couple of weeks, looks like we're gonna have to get together and do a little bit of practicing. Yeah, a little bit. Look at that. See, you never know from, from podcast radio host to potential UFC exhibition fighter. Crazy how the world works. Dana, put me in front of you. 
Okay. <laughs> Back to you, though. This is what this is about. JoJo, who you just fought, was talking all kinds of trash to you before the fight. I monitored the situation very closely. You never took the bait. You always took the high road. And the beef that really wasn't, like what you said with bad baby. There girl. wasn't a beef. Like, exactly. I literally, I, I laugh. I laugh about that. Sorry to even cut you off. But I, like, literally, like, beef. Okay, if you really want beef with me and you want you want me to talk trash to you, then, like, kick my dog. You know what I mean? Like, hurt my brother. Like, that's real beef in my eyes. Like, if you just want to talk trash to each other, I don't have time for that. That's just not how I am. That's not, like, like I don't, I'm not going to waste my time just so that we can feed, like, something that, like, that's not even who you are. Like, that's, she wants to play this, like, goody-goody role one second, and then the next second she wants to be like, oh, we have beef. Because we really don't have beef. Because any other time she was cool with me, would say hello to me, and like it was just casual passing. But then the fight got scheduled, and that's how she was. And I think that's where it's like, look, one thing: be be the facade, be the person. You know what evil is? Evil is you kick me as hard as you can in your face, and I'm still gonna smile because it didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like I'm at least who I am through and through. So like I don't I don't think it's cool because like she's not she's not who she really says. She, so to me, she's just a fake and she looks phony. And like to me, I would much rather see people see the real side of me and who I really am than see the fake side. So I knew that this was like I knew at some point this was going to start being addressed. I really wanted to be the winner of the fight. And it's crazy because I don't know how you lose a fight by judge's decision, but still come out looking better than the winner. And that to me, lets me know I've done a better job with the person that I represent because she's only going to be a fighter. That's all she'll ever get to be. Cause when fighting is over with, nobody's going to want to be like her because what you want to be like that kind of person, that's the person you want to be like, because those all equate back to the things in your life. You know what I mean? They're all quits back to who you are. Yeah, definitely. You know, I need to ask, though, just how difficult is that? Or is it difficult at all to continually take the high road like that when so many others would swoop to that level and just feed into the social media and the beef and just take shots back? How hard is it to take that high road? You know, I have my better days sometimes, you know, like, I don't know, I'm pretty sure I told someone to F off the other day on IG that was just like a random fan. Like a random fan will get it to me more than a blue check mark. You know, because the blue check mark, people see it. That random fan, nobody sees you that have seven followers. Like, you're right. I want him to know that I do see him and that I see him and that that I not only do I see him, but the world sees him. And and like whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you believe in spirits, whether or not you believe in the devil, like somebody sees you. So they know. And that what you do on this earth, you pay for here. So if that also means next time you wear brand new shoes and you step in dog shit, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get yours. And that's kind of the way I live my life. It allows me to live my life um, a little bit better in that way. And I hope that that can be what I can give to other people in, in the world. Definitely. Jessica, I appreciate your time. Appreciate you hopping on here. Is there anything you would like to promote on the show? You're going to be back in Ohio. You're going to help me train up and get ready for whatever. I don't know. Is there anything you'd like to throw out there and promote? We might have to call out someone. You know, I unfortunately heard Chocolate Charlie pass recently, but I had, um, actually came up to help him. Um, to we were going to do a, our own little fighting match at one point. Um, so we, we might have to call out this guy and get to work. Make a yeah, celebrity we, boxing match for you, but 
um, I'm just excited to come home and see everybody, you know, help my friend open up, um, you know, that UFC gym and kind of just spread the UFC love, um, you know, and the fight love all around and maybe go to town hall and get some, some food or something, you know, just hang out and be a Clevelander, right? Like feel the no pressure. I do love being there for that regard. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Cleveland loves you. We have your back as always. Thanks for coming on. I'm sure the fans appreciate it as well. Of course, dear. We'll see you soon. Get on the mitts. See you soon. See you soon. Yeah, we'll have to get me fitted or however that works. I don't even know. No, don't you worry. I'm going to bring some stuff. We'll make sure you tell Julian to get in touch with us. We'll make sure I bring all the gear for you and we'll, we'll have some fun session. Your fans will love it. All right, cool. Sounds great. Jessica, I, everyone, thank you again. Thanks, there. Ladies and gentlemen, Jessica I. Fantastic stuff there. What an awesome interview. Rootstown native. Make sure to go and give her a follow on Twitter at Jessica Evil Eye. Show some Cleveland love to one of our own all the way out there in Las Vegas. I think I sold myself a little bit short in that interview. I didn't want to have to bring it up again. I don't. I don't eat that much Swenson's. I think I could hold my own in a celebrity boxing, you know, event if that were to happen. I I think I sold myself a little bit short there. I fancy myself, you know, one of the more athletic members of the Cleveland media. I run a mile every day. Um, yeah, I, I think I sold myself a little bit short. Great interview, though. Great stuff. Make sure to go follow Jessica for real at Jessica Evil Eye. Before Jessica joined the show, we were talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl felt weird. It felt bought. Didn't feel like they built from the ground up like the Kansas City Chiefs did. Didn't feel like they built from the ground up like Green Bay, like Buffalo, like what the Cleveland Browns are doing here locally. They went all in. And it worked. So I asked you before we went to Jessica and we had that fantastic interview, do you think the Browns could do that? Do you think the Browns can take all of their chips and push them to the center of the table, whether it be for defensive end help, whether it be for another star stud at cornerback, whether it be for an elite level linebacker, do you think the Browns could take their chips and push them to the center of the table? That is the question on Twitter at Padone My Take. Tweet me at Nick Padone 12. I don't know. Because as I sit back and I look at what the Browns have done, it's hard to be disappointed. It's the perfect dose of they got rid of John Dorsey at the perfect time. They bring in the analytically driven front office. Here's my bag, and here's where I fall in all of this. Traditionally, the analytically driven front offices, the analytics folks, take a little bit more of a hands-off approach in free agency, in the draft. They don't like to trade up. They don't like to make a big splash. You know, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade would have never happened, probably with Andrew Barry, with Paul D. Podesta, if he had a bigger say. You know, dare I bring back the memories of Sashi Brown? That's not really their MO to trade or to acquire elite level talent like that. They much rather do it in house. Draft smart. Take shots at cheap, affordable free agents. Draft for depth. Don't overpay for depth like we've seen teams make the mistakes of doing in the past. 
I wonder, though, if the Browns got a taste. We know Jimmy Haslam, D. Haslam, they're sick of losing. They're sick of that lack of cohesion. They're sick of being the butt of every joke. They're sick of the drought with no Super Bowl. Barely cracked the playoffs, you know, and finally they did with them for the first time under their ownership, which was awesome to see. But now that they got a taste, and same with Andrew Barry, who's a younger guy himself, with Kevin Stefanski, with Baker Mayfield on his rookie contract, which I think is a bigger piece of this equation than we've mentioned thus far, I wonder if they're willing to take some of those chips and just push them all in and say, listen, while we have Baker on this rookie deal, while we pick up his fifth-year option, which is likely to happen in the coming weeks, let's go all in. Let's win a freaking Super Bowl for the city of Cleveland. And, and whatever happens there, we figure it out. Obviously, you have to extend Baker. You have to send Denzel Ward. Have to have conversations with Nick Chubb, you know, Wyatt Teller. All of that stuff is to be foreseen. But for the most part, especially offensively, the Browns are going to run it back with a very similar unit in 2021. And even defensively, they'll keep some of those pieces. I always think like the Malcolm Smith, BJ Goodson, Carl Joseph, like two of those three guys will be back. Some of the key pieces will be back. You hope to get healthier. You hope to get Grady Williams back. Obviously, you hope to get Grant Delpic back and you know, available and durable and being able to contribute off of a torn Achilles. But when I look at this and how this offseason looks to be in front of us, all the attention is going to be on the quarterback position. And that's why I love the spot that the Browns are in. While everyone is punching each other in the face over Deshaun Watson and then the trickle down from there, you know, where's Mitch Trubisky go? Where's Carson Wentz go? Reports now this week, could, you know, Russell Wilson be unhappy in Seattle with his protection with the Seahawks? While everyone's punching each other in the chin over quarterbacks, the Browns happily take their quarterback, Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum on their shoulders, and they go and they get some defensive help. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, now that they got this taste of winning, it's also an interesting defensive offseason. J.J. Watt, that's the big name that's been linked to Cleveland. Browns fans have been all over him. Defensive end, you know, that would be bookshelf next to Miles Garrett on one end, J.J. Watt on the other. You would put pretty much yourself or I in the defensive tackle position, and it's going to be one of the best fronts in football. That's how the Tampa Bay beat Kansas City. They pressured the living hell out of Patrick Mahomes. That's something that we haven't seen happen in the Patrick Mahomes era, and quite frankly, they made him look silly while doing so. Also defensively, Marshawn Lattimore, if the New Orleans Saints are looking to shed some cap space, which they probably will still need to do despite a Drew Brees restructure to be able to handle their own players and to be able to sign their own draft picks this offseason. Richard Sherman, there's been some reports there that there could be some mutual interest in the 49ers cornerback reuniting with Joe Woods, who was the DB coach in San Fran. That's a name to look out for. Patrick Peterson and the Arizona Cardinals have decided to mutually part ways. You talk about pairing Denzel Ward with an elite level cornerback, especially if Greedy can't be healthy. Pat Peterson, Denzel Ward could be one of the best secondaries in football. 
overnight. Shaq Barrett, Levante David, two players that just played in the Super Bowl. Both of those guys free agents, neither of them very likely to join the Browns because of their price tag and because of the success that they've had thus far. But something that you can't exactly rule all the way out at this point, any of these guys, because we don't yet know how Andrew Barry and how this front office is going to attack this thing now that they got a taste of winning, now that they got a slice of that pie that they've been coveting since the days of 1-31, it's here, and it, windows in the NFL aren't meant to last. You know, it, the league is built on an 8-8 eight eight philosophy. A, a perfect league, every team would go 8-8 eight eight every year. So now that the Browns are in the better half of that at 11-5, crack the divisional round of the playoffs, I wonder if Andrew Barry and the Haslams want to just punch that window through and win a Super Bowl and whatever happens there happens. While we're speaking of analytics, it'd be silly of us to ignore that the NFL draft is pretty much right around the corner. It goes against analytic philosophy to trade up. I don't foresee the Browns trading too far up. You know, Michael Parsons is the linebacker, big linebacker this year. That ain't happening. They're not going to jump all them spots up in the draft. That just doesn't make sense. They value these draft picks like gold because they are. You need to draft well in the back end of the draft to continually recycle through good talent, which is something we've never seen the Browns do in the last two decades where you have a guy come through. He's a good player, not a great player, the type of player that you could let walk in free agency at the end of his four years, and then you draft another really good player of the same position right at the end of the first round rinse repeat here's where i stand with that they're not going to trade up traditionally they probably wouldn't take a linebacker either it's not a position that they value that's the big word that we hear all the time it's why they didn't draft a linebacker despite losing joe schobert and christian kirksey until the fourth round of last year's draft where they nabbed jacob phillips from lsu at 26, though, if you run a mock draft simulator on any of the websites that Brown's Twitter loves using so much, you see that Zaven Collins is going to be sitting right there. You see that Nick Bolton is probably going to be sitting right there at 26. In the second round, you see that Pete Werner, linebacker from Ohio State, draft stock is shooting up, is going to be right there. If you're the Browns, you need to maybe crinkle up that analytic philosophy that's failed us in the past and throw it in the garbage and just go out there and get the best defensive players possible that fits what you're trying to build. If they have a pulse and if they play defense, they should be a Cleveland Brown. Forget about the position. The Browns need help defensively. If Zayvon Collins and if Nick Bolton is there, despite analytic philosophy... I think you got to do it for the betterment of the team. And I think it's a real possibility that they will. We'll talk much, much, much more draft later as we progress through the rest of February, through March, and ultimately up until the big NFL draft here in Cleveland in April. In the meantime, who do you want in the NFL draft? Have you even looked at who will be available? Tweet me at NickPadone12. Tweet the show at Padone, my take. Let's talk some Cavs. The Cavs will be in action tonight from Mile High City in Denver, Colorado, as they will play the Denver Nuggets, me versus Nuggets tonight. The Cavs are on a four-game skid, and four-game losing streak, they got some trouble in front of them. Denver tonight, then Portland 
in, you know, Oregon, then in LA against the Clippers, then in Cali against the Golden State Warriors. I don't want to beat this too much to a pulp, but people are always asking me, like, are you surprised what went wrong? They were so fun at the beginning of the season. No, no, I'm not surprised about what happened with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I have a perfect explanation as to why. And I don't want to spend this entire segment and this entire rest of the show bashing Kevin Love because we've wasted so much time on that in the past. It's if you were to open a restaurant. It's just a bad business model is what's going on right now. Without Larry Nance Jr., without Matthew Dellavedova, without Kevin Love, but without Kevin, for the last 24 games he's missed this year, that's a problem. It's a problem because it becomes a bad business model. And let's leave basketball completely out of it. Say you open up a restaurant, you win the mega million, you got some money and you're looking to make a good investment. Why not a restaurant? You go out and you hire one of the top chefs in the United States, one of the best people at what they do. You pay him the maximum salary of what chefs get paid in the United States. And in doing so, in giving this chef all this money, you cut some corners, you cut corners on location. You know, you're not going to get the highest end customers at your location because it's in downtown Cleveland. It's snowy most of the year. Location isn't great. The servers, the hosts, the bartenders, they're young, they're college kids. You got the top chef. People will come, people will pay. The top chef will help the business succeed. He makes all the money. He makes the place run. That's the top chef. That's why he's employed there. That's why you paid him top chef money. But what happens when top chef doesn't come to work? Whether he gets sick, whether something happens to him injury-wise, top chef is not available for a quarter of the restaurant's season, a quarter of the restaurant's fiscal calendar. Simple business would tell me somebody else needs to step in. One of the young servers, one of the young bartenders, the young hosts, they got to learn how to get behind the grill. They got to cut the steak, cut the chicken, stir up the rice. The servers are young kids. They're talented. Maybe some of them might have some interest in the restaurant industry and could make a career of it later, but they don't make as much as the chef. It all goes downhill because the chef on the max contract and the max salary is what makes the system go. And that's where I'm at with Kevin Love right now. Kevin Love is the chef. He makes all the money. In these close 7, 9, 10-point games that the Cavs are losing, if you had a top chef, if you had a max contract player that could get you an extra 15 to 20 points a night, the Cavs would be as fun as they were at the start of the season. When Kevin Love comes back, the Cavs will be better. They definitely miss him offensively. They miss his three-point making ability. But right now, without him and without his ability to be on the floor, it's just a bad business model. It's hard to win because we have so much tied up into one asset of Kevin Love that the rest of it just doesn't work well because all the money goes to the guy that's not at work. So that's where things are with the Cavs right now. It'll shake itself out. When Kevin Love comes back, they will be a better team. They're going to win some games that they were in, but they wouldn't put away before. They'll be able to put away now because they'll have that extra scoring kick in the rear end. They'll have some extra rebounds too. That's what's important. And I think 
ultimately, if he could stay out of the way as the of the young players as much as possible, it could help their development too. It's a tough situation right now. It's tough to be a fan because our top chef isn't contributing like a top chef. But when he does, when he comes back, I think things for the Cavs will even out. And eventually when they trade him and it's time for Kevin Love to go away, well, guess what? All that money, you know, comes off your books. That contract becomes a little bit easier to tolerate and you're able to sign some more quality pieces. You're able to make trades a little bit more freely without Kevin Love on your books. It's going to be a tough four nights. You know, tonight against Denver, who's playing some great basketball in the Western Conference on a nightly basis, the Trailblazers, the Clippers, the Warriors, it'll be some headaches along the way. But once Kevin Love comes back, we'll be all better for it. That's all the Cavs we're going to talk tonight. But without further ado, we need to get into what's trending. Alrighty, what's trending on Padone My Take is presented by BigPlay.com. BigPlay is your number one source of live interactive talk shows, just like this one almost every night of the week. Feel free to give them a follow at BigPlay underscore com to never miss a second of sports news, especially in the Cleveland area. Great content on BigPlay. Make sure to go check them out. Here's what's trending this week. Rob Port Ponton, a lawyer in Texas, was in a Zoom legal proceeding, a, a, a Zoom court case that happens virtually in this age of COVID with a cat filter stuck to his face. That's right. There, there was a cat filter. You see up in the TV over there that he has the cat filter. It, it's firmly stuck on there. I, I'll just let the audio speak for itself. The video, just just take a listen here. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're a trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. So that's the gist of it. He had he had a cat filter on his face and he wanted to continue and go through with the Zoom court case that way. This video is how I will choose to remember 2020 and 2021 and the mess that has been this year is this poor lawyer trying to do his job, trying to, you know, defend his defendant as lawyers do in this serious court case and he has this silly crying cat filter just glued to his face. This is just the perfect like this is symbolism 101, right? This is textbook symbolism for this year. This is how this year is. With Zoom, you tr you fire it up. There's technical difficulties. There are echoes. People don't know how to mute themselves. You hear conversations going on in the background. There's been all kinds of like little small videos of like, you know, somebody's spouse walking in with like out clothes on and all kinds of just different small nuancey stuff. Obviously, you have dogs barking in the Zooms or pets doing funny things, falling off bookshelves behind people in their Zoom shot. 
but this one takes the takes the cake at what should could maybe is the end of covid we finally get the perfect covid zoom video that encapsulates this entire time in history and it's this poor lawyer in texas with the cat filter stuck to his face it's so 2020 i love it everything the panic in his voice the fluttering of his eyes behind the kitten filter it's awesome if you haven't seen the video yet just just search on the internet lawyer kitten zoom and it'll pop right up it's so funny the top left corner of the screen is what makes it so funny and i know it's kind of small up on our tv but it's so funny. It literally reads, recording of this hearing or live stream is prohibited. Violation may constitute contempt of court and result in a fine up to $500 and 180 days in jail. So when I first read that and I was first watching this clip, I was like, somebody really read that up in the top left corner of this Zoom call and said, you know what? This is so funny that I'll risk the 500 bucks and the 180 days in jail because this is going to blow up on social media and it did but then i did a little bit of research actually the judge is the one that tweeted the video out the judge of this case shared it with the message of before you log on to your computer for a zoom meeting make sure any of your kids filters are fun or off in an interview with the New York Times, um, the lawyer actually said that he was using his secretary's computer and she was the one with the cat filter, kind of threw the secretary under the bus in the interview with the New York Times. The lawyer said he was mortified but glad to provide a light in this weird 2020-2021 and boy did it ever because this cat video just perfectly encapsulates the year that it has been what a year it has been what an hour it has been thanks to everybody for hanging out i had a ton of fun i hope you did as well make sure to subscribe on apple podcasts on spotify today to catch every show every segment every exclusive interview that we do on padone my take will be up on apple podcasts on spotify on demand you could listen to at whenever for free you just got to remember to subscribe that's the biggest thing Huge thanks to Dugout Mugs, dugoutmugs.com slash big play. Shout out to where I'm from for the merch as well. Huge thanks to Jessica I. What a fantastic interview with her. If you missed it, make sure. Go check it out on Apple Pods, on Spotify. Next Wednesday night, same bad time, same bad channel. We'll do this all again. Go live your life. Go have some fun. Do so safely. You deserve it. Make sure to hug loved one while you're out there. Stay safe, everybody. Love you so much. Goodbye.